Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly roundup for the week ending 5th of August 2022. Well, Michael, in the post that's gone out this week, the 4th of August, uh, you reported on a session that was convened and hosted recently by the Liverpool City Region All Party Parliamentary Group. And they were talking about uh, some of their major green energy projects uh, in the Liverpool city region, offering big local employment opportunities. Uh, that included the High Net project and the Mersey Tidal Power project. Um, and they were really asking how can Liverpool position itself as a priority for intervention and investment in net zero. And there were some very specific points came out of that, but I think there were also some general points, weren't there, uh, that which would apply to all regions. Yes, you're right. There were a number of uh, specific points that were to Liverpool. But the more general points, I think there are four or five of those. One is the ability to share rapidly the learning that's occurring on the ground so people don't make the same mistakes and therefore move from pilots and experiments into active projects and programs that are going to be delivered over a period of time. Uh, there was a, a general point around the period over which you write off investment or view investment. Currently, it's quite a short period in the Treasury thinking. For something like the Tidal Project from the Mersey, that needs to be viewed over several generations, like 100 years or 120 years. That makes quite a difference to the rate of return. There was a general point around the need for us as individuals to start changing our behaviour in relation to how we consume energy. And they were making that point in relation to the generation of electricity from the tidal system on the Mersey. They don't want people topping up their car every day, every night, but to do that on a reasonably regular basis, like once a week. And also it'd be in the position to actually feed electricity captured in their batteries, in their cars, back into the grid. So we can share the assets of electricity and the energy. That needs to be something we all learn and work to. A bit like recycling. We put our bins out on a certain day of the week. We charge our car on a certain day of the week to make it an even out demand. There was a fourth general point around making the whole refitting and making houses net zero very affordable. And therefore really hunting down where we can actually introduce innovation and mass production to bring down the cost of bringing in heat pumps, bringing in different types of insulation and the like. And the fifth more general point was the empowerment of residents to capture data themselves. And so they them can actually see the energy loss or energy gains upon their own property. Now, this is part and parcel of many of the cooperative schemes we've seen around the country around carbon literacy. So this would be allowing people to have access to thermal cameras to allow them to take pictures of their own homes to really bring home what they need to change and where to focus their attention. So those are some of the more general points that are applicable to everybody. But I think we'll find if we go into the city regions of Manchester or Leeds, Sheffield, exactly the same issues are being coming through, except the balance and priorities might change a bit as to what we saw in Liverpool piece. And you cover all of that in the post that's gone out this week, uh, which went out at 3pm uh, on the 4th of August. That's right.
And Michael, we had an interesting Zoom conversation this week with Philip Tutt-Leppert, who runs uh, a company called 360 Integrated, which is a sustainability PR company based in Winchester. Uh, some interesting points came out of that conversation, didn't they? You're right. There was particularly a point around the role of universities in the greening of the UK economy. And we've come across this previously in a number of the uh, posts we've done, you know, around Portsmouth and the port becoming a green port and the key role of Portsmouth University in that. But if you go around the whole country, every university has got a major training and development role at master's and undergraduate level. He's got most universities have got research programs which are assisting in pilot and experimental work and new R&D work with local companies. And they're all creating new technologies and new skills on the green economy. And the general point being there doesn't seem to be full recognition of that role at government level as to what the role of universities is and some form of reporting on that and the critical nature of universities in this process. And we'll be posting more on that over the next couple of months. Now, just to let you know, we've also released an extra podcast this week onto The Green Edge, featuring a conversation Michael and I had recently with Professor Chris Speed, the new director of the Edinburgh Futures Institute, EFI. On a rather crackly Zoom line from Bilbao, Chris told us about how EFI represents a new form of thinking for a grand old establishment like Edinburgh University. All of us are acutely aware of the global and local dietal challenge that we're facing when we think about energy, uh, food supply, resources, and of course the big one being climate. And really what the University of Edinburgh has done is began to think about the horizontal research and innovation centres that need to be put in place alongside these, what I'm, I think of as verticals, these highly sector-specific or um, academic-specific schools um, that made up those big colleges. So as director of a Futures Institute, that's largely orientated from a humanities perspective, but it is deeply complemented by the science and engineering and health uh, medical partners as well. So we have a whole bunch of, a whole horizontal suite of um, activities. We've posted several times now on the need for interdisciplinary thinking and teaching in the green economy. Our most recent post being a guest article by Dr. Lydia Cole at St. Andrews University. Lydia is a peatland expert who's also written a handbook on interdisciplinary research. Chris told us that interdisciplinarity and a co-creative research culture fall right at the heart of EFI. EFI's raison d'etre is about the interdisciplinary. So we'll find people leaning in to the Institute because they've got highly interdisciplinary, possibly underlined by or underscored by a data-driven dimension as well. EFI really wants to be in the middle of a co-creative research culture that the research challenges to which we then apply um, to governments for money are actually based on problems in the real world, based on problems that are brought from the world into EFI and then organised around academic skill sets, methodologies, so that we make sure that that, that that public money is really moved quite quickly toward an impact that is at societal scale, so that an old university feels like it's really genuinely co-creating exploring and co-designing some of the solutions that hopefully address the problems of the future and just a reminder you can find the podcast from our conversation with professor speed on the green edge website at greenedge.substack.com
And Michael, to finish this podcast, you're doing a regular trawl through Green Reports. What have you seen this week? One in particular I'll pick out. It was a piece of work sponsored by the now defunct Skills and Productivity Board, undertaken by RAND Europe. And they were looking at four groups of occupations and how their skills might change over the next five to ten years. That's of general interest. But what I thought was particularly of interest is the differentiation between green skills and sustainability skills. Now, green skills, when you read through their document, almost totally relate to skilled trades. People who touch a piece of technology and put it into place like a heat pump. But sustainability skills are spread across all the occupations, be it managerial, science and technical ones, health ones, and also the skilled trade. So it's quite interesting. The use of a different word in front of the word skills makes it broad and therefore into a decision-making and process-focused skill, as opposed to green skills, which are seen as very much as a technical hands-on skill. And I thought that was quite an interesting differentiation. The report itself doesn't pick up on that difference. It just states it of what came out of its own interviews and its workshop groups. And I thought that was of interest to us in particular. And you'll be including that report in your monthly roundup at the end of August. Most certainly will be, yes. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.